Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissecting the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. As you know, I live in China, and these days, the first thing people think about when talking about China is the coronavirus outbreak, and that is what we're going to talk about today. So I've been checking Weibo and reading the news in both English and Chinese nonstop for days now in order to learn more about the topic that very much impacts me on a personal level. And so there will be a slight change to our podcast format today, as I have invited a guest host and a friend of mine, so that I can sit on the other side of the chair to help everyone make sense of what is going on. With me today is Yuying Dang, the CEO of Autism from Singapore. So Yuying, welcome to Analyze Asia, and thank you so much for joining me as the guest host of the show today. Thank you, Carol, for having me here. Well, we have a lot of ground to cover about the coronavirus and its impact on China and the rest of the world. To start with, can you tell us about your experience when you first heard about the virus emerging from Wuhan until today? What was it like for you in terms of your personal journey? Yeah. So if I were to look at the calendar right now, believe it or not, I actually first heard about a you know quote unquote Wuhan virus back in mid December. And it was from an Instagram post that a friend made. I was like, "That's right." I was like, "Huh? What? What? What is this Wuhan virus that people are talking about?" Because I, of course, also read Chinese news, and there were nothing, you know, about the Chinese news. And it was right before Christmas when I had an in-person conversation with someone about it. So that's when. It became more apparent to me that oh, like this is this is very serious, right? And for Christmas,、uh, from I think on the twenty third to January first, I was in Bali, <laughs> so I was not thinking about the coronavirus. And I remember very distinctively when it became national news when everybody on my WeChat was posting about it, and that was the week of January nineteenth, January twentieth, around that time, because I actually took a Flight from Shanghai to Beijing, and at that time, I remember distinctly they just discovered one case or two in Beijing, and I was going from Shanghai to Beijing, so I was very paranoid. I wore a mask the entire flight, all the way to my hotel, and also when、uh, I returned the next day, I was very scared. And that's when everybody was posting about it, and internationally, domestically, there were a lot of news. And then very quickly, the situation just escalated. Right on the twenty third, when Wuhan went into lockdown, that's when I got really scared because that's when I realized that this is way bigger than any of us could imagine. For a city so large to be under lockdown is just unfathomable to me. Right, and that was、uh, the eve before the Chinese New Year Eve. And that's when I also started going on Twitter to to tweet about、uh, the coronavirus because I was experiencing so much anxiety personally that I needed like an outlet, you know, to to share some of the information and share some of the anxiety. And it was around then a lot of my friends from Canada started messaging me asking if I was okay and asking, you know. Uh, should I maybe think about going back to Canada, leaving China, in order to avoid this virus? What was you thinking, you know, at that point in time? Because you could have done that, right? You could have booked a flight out of Shanghai. I could have, and it would have,、uh, and it would have been cheap as well. I didn't want to leave because I did more research and felt like the situation is fairly controlled outside of Wuhan and outside of Hubei. So I felt safe still. 
being in Shanghai and I was in Wuxi at the time, so on the 23rd, I felt fairly safe. At the time, the entire Jiangsu province had no cases, right? And Shanghai only had a few you know, I think a dozen or so. So I felt very safe. I felt like there was just more to do in China, even if I were <laughs> under lockdown, that I didn't want to go back to Toronto. That's like the truth. And it also felt like I didn't, my extended family, my grandparents, etc. they're all here. And I wanted to kind of like go through everything with them and be here. And that's when also when I realized that all the masks were sold out, tried to buy some for my extended family and just could not find any. I ended up having to buy these crazy looking industrial use, you know, like masks where when I posted a picture of it, my friends were like, are you going to like Chernobyl or something? Like, you know, those type of masks that those were the only ones available then. And then they were sold out also a few days later. Okay. Okay. Those are the, the, the big scary looking ones with the filters on the side, right? That's right. That's right. And that's the one I have now because I can't find any other types of masks. Yeah, and then Chinese New Year happened, but I had I couldn't even bring myself to watch the New Year gala show that I typically watch because I just felt so incredibly sad about what was happening in Wuhan. Like any, you know, sort of dancing, singing was just not going to entertain me at all. And then for the next few days, even though I had to, you know, do the usual Chinese New Year, like visiting of relatives, eating, etc., I was paranoid. I was scared. And I I was incessantly checking the news, checking Weibo to see if there were any updates, etc. What was Chinese New Year visitation like during that time? Because here in Singapore, it was quite normal, right? And in China, were people already taking precautions like wearing masks, you know, sanitizing their hands and so on while visiting their relatives? So it depends on where you are. I saw a lot of videos about people not going anywhere especially if they live in provinces adjacent to Hubei. Because I was in Jiangsu and there were no cases in my city at the time, so people still weren't taking it as seriously. And here I can tell a personal story. So my grandparents, on, on my mom's side, they were actually celebrating their 90th and their 80th. So my grandpa was turning 90 and my grandma was turning 80 this year. And as per customs, a lot of friends, family, neighbors were supposed to come and say their greetings, etc. So actually, a lot of people came to my grandparents' house. And I was very, very paranoid the entire time, especially when apparently the same night when all these people came to visit the same night, there was an ambulance that stopped on my grandparents' neighborhood, specifically on their street and took somebody. I was so scared. Yeah. And then my, my uncle actually also runs a local restaurant. They were booked out in advance, right? Just like every year. However, starting from the first day of Chinese New Year, people started canceling their reservations. I believe on the third day of Chinese New Year, they originally had 32 tables reserved. Only I think three tables came. And then the local health authorities were also being very strict and specifically told my aunt and uncle that they cannot have more than 50 people at the restaurant at the same time. The capacity of their restaurant is about 320 people. And they had to report on a daily basis of all the sanitation and disinfection work that they have done uh, in the in the restaurant. Okay, and this was when there were no cases still reported in the city? 
I think by then, I think by Chinese New Year, by the first or second day, there were rumored to be one or two. One or two, okay. And they they were that strict. That's right, already. And then I, I think on the third or fourth day, someone came and just put a gate on the driveway um, to my uncle's restaurant in order to stop people from um, going, basically. So then the restaurant just um, t- uh, temporarily closed, I think, on starting the third day uh, in the afternoon. And I assume it's still closed right now, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. That's tough. That's tough. Yeah. So definitely a lot of businesses, especially small businesses, are being affected by the uh, lockdown, by the uh, coronavirus outbreak. To start, let's take a chronological approach to the incident. How did this novel coronavirus originate in Wuhan and started spreading across Asia Pacific and the other parts of the world? Yeah, let us look at the timeline. Now, it's very hard to say when the virus first appeared. However, patients with this novel coronavirus were first admitted into hospitals in Wuhan as early as December 16th. And China started reporting the situation to U.S., and to the World Health Organization starting January 3rd. And the December 16th date was from this published research on a medical journal called The Lancet by a doctor in Wuhan that I read. This doctor studied 41 patients identified with this virus, and the admission data for these patients were from December 16th to January 2nd. Now, given that most people don't go to hospitals until it's really bad, so it probably started earlier than that in early December. And of course, now we are already in February. So what has happened since December? By the end of December, people were spreading rumors about there is a SARS-like virus going on in Wuhan. December 30th was when the famous WeChat uh, sharing happened where Eight people, including Dr. Li Wenliang, who has since passed away, shared information on WeChat. And then the next day, December 31st, there was already a local alert. There was already epidemiological alert issued by local health authority. And the next day, so first day of January, of January 1st, 2020, the infamous Huanan Seafood Market was already shut down. But most of the world didn't really hear about this incident all the way till probably the end of January. So when Wuhan went into lockdown mode on January 23rd, and unfortunately, in the 20 days that passed between when the Huanan Seafood Market got shut down to when Wuhan was in a lockdown, there were a lot of meetings and a lot of gatherings in Wuhan because the authorities failed to alert their citizens. In fact, the Wuhan government held their two sessions meeting in the beginning of January, and the Hubei provincial government and Hubei is where Wuhan is the capital, they held their two sessions as well. And then in January 18th, there was a gathering of 40,000 families in this extremely large neighborhood in Wuhan called Baijiating. And this neighborhood consists of 130,000 people. These numbers are crazy, you're probably thinking. And then how did it get spread to overseas? Well, of course, there is the Wuhan International Airport, and people were going everywhere. 
because it was close to Chinese New Year, people were traveling. And so you see cases now all over Asia and all over the world. There was a case reported in Thailand on January 13th. And then in February 2nd, there was the first death outside of China. It was a man from Wuhan who got sick before he traveled to the Philippines. And unfortunately, uh, he passed away there. And then a few days ago, February 6th, there was the first death of a non-Chinese national. It was a 60-year-old U.S. national who passed away in Wuhan. And then, of course, as you know, February 7th is when Dr. Li Wenliang passed away. Or that is the official time of death anyways. People say that he technically left us on February 6th. Today, we are recording on February 9th. Today marks the day that the number of people who have died from this novel coronavirus has officially surpassed the death toll for SARS. SARS was 774 lives. And unfortunately, right now, today, we, have, we are already in the 800s. My understanding is that Wuhan is a big transportation hub within China, and it's a very large industrial city as well. I guess you could compare it to Pittsburgh in the U.S. So did this, in addition to the Chinese New Year holidays, catalyze the spread of the virus? A hundred percent. The fact that Wuhan is a transportation hub combined with the timing, which is around New Year, which is around the 2020 New Year and also the Lunar New Year, definitely catalyzed the spread of the virus. So first of all, according to Wuhan mayor, about five million people left Wuhan for the Lunar New Year, with nine million still remaining after the lockdown. And if we were to look at data posted by a platform called Hangban Guanjia, or it translates to Flight Butler, it shows that between December 30th to January 22nd, there were a lot of flights leaving from Wuhan. Just throw a few numbers. There were about 65,000 seats from Wuhan to Beijing. 55,000 to Guangzhou, 54,000 to Chengdu. And these are all travel hubs as well. Guangzhou, Beijing, Shanghai, etc. And then internationally, there were 20,000 seats to two different airports in Bangkok, Thailand, almost 2,000 seats to three different airports in Japan, and 10,000 seats to Singapore. Now, these are just direct flights as well, right? People could have left Wuhan and then went to Guangzhou and then went Guangzhou to uh, the rest of Asia or even the world. We all know that during Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year, it is the single largest migration in human history, right? Last year, 2019, in the 40-day Chunyun or the Spring Festival travel period, around 3 billion trips were taken mainly via like trains and highways. And what I just talked about were just flights. Now, what do we know about how this virus originated? And how does this virus compare to the SARS situation in 2003 or similar outbreaks around the world? Yeah, I mentioned a seafood market called the Huanan Seafood Market. So it was, so they identified this place because there were a lot of connections to the seafood market in the first batch of the novel coronavirus patients. So official statement says that that's where it originated from, this seafood market. And the seafood market, unfortunately, sold more than seafood. It sold all sorts of wild animals like deers, bats, and you name it. How it compares to SARS, well, 
According to a report by the World Health Organization, SARS is thought to be an animal virus from an as yet uncertain animal reservoir, perhaps bats, that spread to other animals and then infected humans in Guangdong province in southern China in 2002. So similar to SARS, this novel coronavirus probably infected humans in the same way. There was uh, maybe an animal reservoir like a bat that spread to another animal and then it got to humans. And then SARS broke out in November and this year, it could be November or maybe December, and both transmit human to human. However, it is still, I believe, too early to compare a lot of the stats between this novel coronavirus and SARS because the current situation is still evolving. The fatality rate is still uncertain, and even what people talk about, the r naught is also un- undetermined. And for those of you uh, who don't know, r naught looks like R0, but pronounced r naught is the basic reproduction number, and which is the average number of secondary infection cases produced by one infection case. Basically, how many people can one person infect? And in the consensus document published by the World Health Organization in 2003, most academics estimate the r naught as between 2 to 4 for SARS. And then for the novel coronavirus, I've seen studies that say it's higher and studies that say it's lower than SARS, but it's probably between that range as well, so 2 to 4 people. So what are the symptoms for someone who contracts the coronavirus? And how do we know if this person is simply suffering from the common flu, you know, or whether it is this novel coronavirus? That's a really good question. So because I haven't had firsthand experience with any coronavirus patients, so this is also from the research paper published by a doctor. So common symptoms include fever, cough, fatigue, and other slightly less common include coughing up phlegm or coughing up blood, headaches, diarrhea, difficulties with breathing. And all patients in the study have pneumonia with abnormal findings on chest CT. And then as for flu symptoms, now this is according to information published by the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention. So patients would experience fever or feelings of feverish chills, also cough, sore throat, runny or stuffy nose, muscle or body aches, headaches, etc. And some people might have vomiting and diarrhea as well. So I do see a lot of similarities in the symptoms. However, I believe the novel coronavirus seemed to show more severe symptoms such as coughing up blood or phlegm and also difficulties with breathing. Yeah, but the symptoms definitely look quite similar. So for someone in the initial stages of suffering from the coronavirus, they might just think it's the common flu, right? That's right. So people probably took uh, quite a few days before they went to see a doctor thinking and realizing that it might be something more serious. Yeah. And it works both ways as well, because then you have people have the common flu who think that they're having the coronavirus and these people may be flooding the hospitals looking for treatment over there. That's right. It's a very difficult situation for the government, for health authorities. All right. This is the interesting question in my view. What has the Chinese government done so far in China on this coronavirus? Yeah, they've actually done 
a lot. Maybe not in the very beginning uh, when people didn't realize it was a huge issue, but since it becoming national and international news, they've done a lot. And we can look at it from three levels. So we can look at first from a central government or as in China, it's called the state council perspective, what they've done. And in terms of state council, in my opinion, their role are mainly twofold. So one is giving enough money to help support this combat against the novel coronavirus. So the Ministry of Finance uh, gave already 1 billion RMB to Hubei province on January 23rd. And then it gave another 4.4 billion RMB for the whole country. So and that includes also 500 million for Hubei specifically. And then the National Development and Reform Commission gave 300 million for Hubei and Wuhan to be used for hospital building and purchasing of medical equipment. And then the Ministry of Finance, combined with the National Health Commission, issued 60 billion RMB in advance, mostly for all the different municipalities, for them to have the money to build the mechanism to fight against the disease control and, and prevention. And then in terms of policies as well. So initially, there was a internal travel ban where China stopped the selling of group tours as well as a plane ticket plus hotel travel packages for all travel agencies and online platforms. And then afterwards, it was the pushback of the return to work date after Lunar New Year. Originally, people were supposed to start work on the 31st, but then it was pushed back to the 3rd. And then some municipalities pushed it back even further. And then it was, I believe, just two days ago when they put out the new policy where they're asking 16 provinces or provincial level cities like Beijing and Shanghai to help the 16 cities in Hubei. And the central government is going to be focused on helping Wuhan, while the rest of the provinces help with the other 16 cities. And my home province, Jiangsu, is in charge of a city called uh, Xiaogan, and that is the second most affected city by the coronavirus. And they've also been working on, you know, solving resource shortage problems. And I know that Premier Li Keqiang had uh, asked the European Union not to donate, but just to pr procure resources from the medical resources. And then, of course, the central government had to do a lot of uh, butt wiping because the work done by the Wuhan and the Hubei government was just very unsatisfactory. And of course, uh, they've been holding a daily uh, press conferences. So since, I believe, January 27th, the state council has been holding these daily press conferences at the National Health Commission to debrief and update everyone on the on the situation. So that's uh, on a central government level. And if, we're, if we were to look at like a provincial level, most, I believe all now, all provinces have declared a level one public health emergency. And that is the highest level that you can declare in China. The education department has pushed back the return to school date. For example, in both Jiangsu province and Zhejiang province, they haven't announced the official date yet, but it has been said that it, it cannot be earlier than the end of February. So schools might not even start in March yet, but 
right now, at least. No one will go to school. No one from kindergarten all the way to university can go to school before the beginning of March. And then, of course, other provinces other than Hubei have been helping out Hubei and then also Wuhan. Before they were asked to help, a lot of provinces were already sending lots of resources. You know, I've read news about how Inner Mongolia sent 30 tons of potatoes, and then Shenyang, the city of Shenyang, sent 130 tons of cabbage. Guizhou sent 60 tons of veggies because there were initially a food shortage in both Wuhan and then Hubei when people were freaking out about the coronavirus and when they weren't weren't allowed to go out of their house. You know, and then so that's provincial. And on a city level, so city by city is quite different because cities they have to implement the emergency, the level one healthcare emergency response declared by their province, but they have to do it depending on how the situation is like in their city. So to give a few examples for Wuhan, what they've been doing is that they've been building hospitals. Uh, I'm sure everyone has read the news or saw videos about how the Huashenshan or Leishenshan, these new hospitals. How quickly they were being built, and on top of these newly built hospitals, they are also converting schools and stadiums and convention halls, exhibition halls, etc., into what they call shelter hospitals or fengcang yuan, where they house the less severe、uh, patients, so patients with very mild、uh, symptoms. And then for the field hospitals, the newly built ones, those are for the more severe or critical cases. And then Wuhan, as y'all know, is under lockdown, so. That means no buses, no trains, no flights can go out of Wuhan. It, within the city, there are no ferries, no subways, no buses either. But、uh, it's different for other cities, right? So for Huanggang, which is another city in Hubei Province, it's the third most affected city by the number of confirmed cases, as well as a city called Wenzhou in Zhejiang that's heavily、uh, affected. So they were the first to initiate a policy where only one person per household can go out every two days. To buy necessities such as food and groceries, etc. Because、uh, so that is not a policy that is very common. It really depends on how severe it is in your city. Now, my hometown in China is a city called Wuxi in Jiangsu Province. It is not one of the more severely affected provinces or cities. So. The policies in the, what the government has put out include, for example, the closing of all non-essential public spaces like movie theaters, like parks. You know, you have to register to go into a neighborhood. Yeah, you your temperature needs to be checked when you go inside of a neighborhood, or if you were to exit a highway. And then they cut down the frequency of buses. And then also the intercity buses, like airport shuttles, etc. They were all halted. Yeah. So different cities have done things differently, but I would say they have done a lot in order to try to address this problem. One question I have as well, you know, which has been on my mind a lot because I do have a lot of、uh, Chinese entrepreneur friends, is how do small and medium-sized businesses tide through this time? Because you have the Chinese New Year period, you know, they have to pay their employees, but the employees can't go to work; they cannot send out goods, and no one knows when this is going to end yet. So For example, a partner that I'm working with in Zhongshan, in which is in the Guangdong province, they were supposed to open the factory on the third of February. This was pushed back to the tenth of February. 
but I've been recently in- informed that he actually has to go and get a- authorization from the authorities now to reopen the factory. And he doesn't know as yet whether he can reopen his factory tomorrow. That's right. Small businesses are especially vulnerable in this time because a lot of people were dependent on sales uh, around Chinese New Year. Oh yeah, definitely. Even here in Singapore, we are already being affected. You know, I guess this is the question on everybody's mind, right? What is the situation within Wuhan itself? You know, and what is the situation like in the rest of China? And is it different? Yeah, and they are very different. And I think the situation in Wuhan is especially bad. And that's what the media has been reporting about. And that has induced a lot of fear in everybody. But really, uh, the rest of China is not nowhere near as bad, I would say. So looking at stats as of February 9th, 9pm Beijing time. So there have been 14,000 982 confirmed cases in the city of Wuhan, about 27,100 in Hubei province, where Wuhan is the capital. Actually, Hubei cases make up about 72.6% of all China cases. And China has about a bit over 37,000 right now. And then Wuhan cases make up about 55% of Hubei cases. So I think it really shows that Hubei is like the epicenter of the novel coronavirus. Most of the cases are there, you know, over 70% of the cases are there. And Wuhan is not the only city that's being terribly affected because it's only uh, half, uh, it only makes up half of the cases in Hubei. So cities like Xiaogan that I mentioned earlier, and also Huanggang, These cities you've probably never heard of, but they all have over 2,000 cases. And of course, these are confirmed cases. So we're not even counting the number of people who are suspected to have the novel coronavirus. And there are, of course, uh, are people who are not even in the stats as well. Yeah. And then also, according to the National Health Commission uh, released a few days ago, the mortality rate uh, in China for the novel coronavirus So as of February 3rd is 2.1%. However, if you excluded Hubei province, then for the entire, for the rest of the country, the mortality rate is only 0.16%. That's a very interesting difference, right? What do you think the reason for that is? Yeah, I think there was a there was a report in one of the major Western media publications that said something like China is is sacrificing an entire province to save itself or to save the world. I think that is fairly accurate. You know, they've not only Wuhan, but I think more than 13 cities in Hubei province are in lockdown mode. And so people are severely affected within Hubei province, but less so outside of China because they restricted travel early on. Even in cities, for example, like Wenzhou, where a lot of businessmen who work in Wuhan went back to Wenzhou for Chinese New Year, they are under lockdown in their own communities, in their own neighborhoods, etc. So they're really trying to contain it. But the situation has gotten out of hand so much within Wuhan and within Hubei that the numbers just grew significantly because it was much harder to contain once it has reached a fairly explosive stage. I understand that they actually sent in the military doctors as well, right? Into Wuhan. They did, yes. 
Right. What are the misconceptions you think that the rest of the world has with regards to the novel coronavirus? Man, I think people are over panicking. They think that they have a high chance of contracting the illness and that they should be scared of anyone that looks Asian. They are scared of Chinese restaurants, Chinese goods, etc. And I think these are all misconceptions. I think it's really sad that people are using this as almost a way to be racist. It's just the amount of racism that I've heard my friends and families of friends have experienced overseas is astonishing and it's very saddening. And it's sad that, you know, people associate all Chinese or all Asians with this virus now. You know, even here in Singapore as well, I think that the government over here, they have been, you know, wanting people not to be xenophobic because of this coronavirus. Yeah, and I think I saw images of supermarkets in Singapore being sold out of goods because people are hoarding them, thinking that they... Oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing the, the kind of things that they buy. The, the very first thing that got sold out was toilet paper. Yeah. I... I'm, I'm not sure why. <laughs> I, I read about that, but I wasn't sure if it was fake news, you know, because I think that's... <sighs> It's not fake news. I, I can tell you. I, I just went to the supermarket today and they were sold out of toilet paper. The rice was still there. You know, the bottled water was still there. Canned food was still there, but toilet paper was all gone. <laughs> yeah, I think people are definitely overreacting all over the world. But I guess it's only normal when media is reporting sensationalist news, right, to get more readers. And so media really built up all this hype and all this panic that people are experiencing that I think are pretty unnecessary, especially if you live in North America, for example. I understand that you are based in Shanghai. You haven't gone out in a week now except for work. So can you tell us what is it like from your perspective? you know, to have to li live through this novel coronavirus incident? And what is it like for the Chinese people in general? I think my experience is fairly representative of, you know, the experience of non-Hubei or non-Wuhan uh, residents in China. There were initially a lot of anger, right? People were very angry that the truth about the novel coronavirus, it was hidden by the local government in both Wuhan and, and in Hubei. And then people were very angry about the ill distribution and the management of funds and resources by the Red Cross Society in Wuhan. When the story broke out about how it's actually like in Wuhan, for the rest of the country, that was the first time, you know, reading and seeing all these images and hearing these stories, people were just very angry and frustrated that they can't help and, and do more. And I think uh, the few, a few days ago, the death of Dr. Li Wenliang really pushed this public fury onto like a whole nother level that I've, that I've never seen before. Other than anger, there's also a lot of kindness that I've seen. You know, a lot of people, friends and family, including myself, have donated to the cause and are doing what we can to spread awareness and to help people. 
right? So not all news are bad news. There have been a lot of tearjerkers about, you know, doctors and nurses sacrificing themselves for the patients and working crazy hours, unable to eat because they need to wear the protective suit all day. You know, people donating money, donating masks anonymously, you know, to police stations, to hospitals, etc. And then, you know, stories about how Wuhan civilians are sending food to the hospitals. Everyone wants to help, right? And I think that really touches me. But unfortunately, right now, the situation is pretty bad in the sense that it's almost like the entire country is put on pause. Schools are closed. People aren't going back to work. If they are working, it's working from home. It's like there was a pause button and China just kind of stopped. You know, everyone's just staying home and all you're doing is checking the news, going on your phone, watching TV, etc. And then personally, both travel and work have definitely been affected. I yeah, haven't gone out for a week now, and it was only for work that I went out. I haven't ate out uh, in a restaurant in over two weeks, and that is not normal in China because I usually go out almost on a daily basis. So I've been surviving on food deliveries and grocery deliveries. I obviously wanted to travel during Chinese New Year, and then also I wanted to travel in February because tickets are really cheap. Now, of course, I am going nowhere but from my bedroom to my bathroom to my kitchen. <laughs> That's it. Any views on when this is going to end yet? When when is this pause button going to be released? Then you know everything is going to start as per normal. Yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like whenever schools start, I think that's a good indicator as to when it's safe, right? Because everyone's very careful when it comes to children. So even though people have started work already in certain places, schools have not started. So I feel like maybe earliest would be in March, right? Because there are already um, policies that came out saying that no school can begin before March. So maybe in March earliest, but really, I don't know. Will it change when the weather in China changes as well? Right? I think that might be possible because I think that was a part of the reason. That is in part how SARS was stopped because the weather changed. It got warmer. So maybe we'll we'll just have to see how the situation unfolds. We hope so. Also regarding this uh, Chinese perspective, right? You mentioned the anger that was in China and how people were angry, say, for example, the provincial government in Hubei. Did you see any censorships that was taking place over here? There was so much censorship. Take the Dr. Li Wenliang case, for example. So people were really angry that... He already, news about him passing already broke, mostly came from his colleagues and other doctors. And then because that elicited so much public anger that someone, we don't know who, gave instructions to put him back on life support to trying to revive him, basically, even though he's been dead for a few hours now. So when that news came out, the entire Chinese internet, basically everybody was furious. My blood's kind of boiling talking about that right now. That was one of the major trending topics on Weibo. However, we also don't know who. They quickly 
de-escalated situation on Weibo by taking the the trending hashtag down on the list. But no one's blind. You know, everyone's on their phone looking at Weibo and just seeing how, how censorship is working. And that made people even more angry, the fact that they can't really talk about it. And then people started to realize that under the hashtag, a related hashtag to Dr. Li Wenliang, I can't remember what it specifically said. If you weren't a verified Weibo user, you could not have your your tweet basically shown under the hashtag. Are there a lot of unverified people on Weibo? Just like Twitter, right? Most of the users don't have that little blue check mark against the, their name. And then and then the news of his death finally came out. I think it was sometime it was a tweet by the Wuhan Central Hospital where he used to work and where he was being treated. It was at like 4 a.m. But most people already went went to sleep. But there were still a lot of people who were up because they couldn't sleep over over this issue. There has been a lot of censorship. And I guess this is the first time it's so obvious, right? I mean, when a trending hashtag gets taken down, this has to be noticed by everybody. It's probably not the first time that it's been so obvious because people do notice because it happens so often. But it's the first time that so many people were angry enough to be vocal about it. Because most of the time, Chinese people aren't stupid, right? They know that there is a lot of censorship. They just choose to not to say anything about it because most people care more about their own safety and security. But this time around, they felt like the injustice was so great that so many people, just ordinary people, were vocal about the whole Dr. Li Wenliang issue because they felt it was so unfair to treat him the way they have treated him given what he's done. I guess they identified with him as well. I mean, because he, he was an ordinary man and he was trying to do his job. That's right. Yeah, I think he was only 34. So he was born in the 80s, just like a lot of internet users. You know, he had one kid with another one coming, just like a lot of people. He's just an ordinary person. People were going through his tweets and on Weibo and just really sympathizing with him because a lot of what he talked about, what he complained about, what he liked, what he disliked were just like any other Chinese in their 30s. You know, as of today, how many cases have we seen so far happening in China and the rest of the world? So I also recorded these numbers down on February 9th, 9 p.m. Beijing time. In China, there are 27,288 confirmed cases, 814 deaths, 2,898 recoveries. But of course, these are the officially reported numbers. It could be higher. As for the rest of the world, in a report by CNN, they estimated about at least 350 cases in 25 countries and territories outside of mainland China. So just to note that there is a double count because the Chinese figures also account for the cases in Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan. And if we were to look at, you know, which are the countries outside of China that are most affected by the novel coronavirus, most of these countries are in Asia, I would say. So Japan has 89 cases, Singapore has 40, Thailand has 32, Korea has 25, Malaysia has 16, but Australia also has 15. Germany has 14, France 11, and the US 12. 
The rest are all single digits, and these are so the top countries. Interestingly enough, we do have a lot of Chinese tourists traveling to some of the more developing Southeast Asian countries as well. So, for instance, Indonesia or Vietnam. You know, even Myanmar, but we don't see many cases coming from there. Yeah, so I wonder if it's because the lack of healthcare infrastructure that they haven't even reported these cases yet, or there aren't any cases, or a lot of these cases actually there. Yeah, I mean, it'll have to be quite a stroke of luck for them not to get any cases in at all. That's right, because people were traveling to all of these countries for the New Year break. Yep, you know, especially you know places like Bali. There's definitely a lot of mainland tourists over there. That's right. So. How do you see technologies being employed in China to deal with the virus? Yeah, I think technology has been really helpful for both, I believe, the average user and also for people who are sick and and need、uh, help. So for someone like me, I've been checking different platforms that update these figures with maps and analytics, etc. So these are all on either WeChat or other platforms. And then WeChat also came out with like a health sector. That was pretty new, and it's、uh, very comprehensive. It has all sorts of tools that you can consult if you are worried about, you know, showing symptoms or need to find a doctor, etc. And then the Chinese Business Network also put out this tool that I used yesterday, where if you put in any address or if you you know let your phone GPS give it your location, then it will tell you. How many cases are in your city or in the district that you're in, and what is the distance between that address or where you are to the closest discovered case? So for me, it was very stress-inducing because when I fed it my address, there are first of all 11 cases in the district in Shanghai that I'm in, and the closest case is less than one kilometer from where I live. That gave me a lot of anxiety after seeing that, actually. But it also did say that you know all of these cases have been hospitalized, so just stay home and you're gonna be okay. And then for those who are sick, I've seen Weibo putting out a specific coronavirus section, and then also a subsection for people to seek help. So、they're uploading, you know, their name, phone number, address, information, often even medical documents like CT scans, etc., to seek help. A lot of people have been uploading videos, right, on. Douyin and other platforms sometimes to seek help as well. Yeah, I've seen some interesting videos on Douyin. I guess when people are cooped up and in their homes for hours and for days, they really find things to do. Yeah, a lot of humorous content were created, and、uh, in those days when people were pretty much on house arrest, it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah, there was a guy running a marathon around his living room as well. <laughs> yeah, all sorts of videos, and then also for like everyday life, there are a lot of tools like food delivery apps, right, and grocery delivery, etc. And of course, people are utilizing tools like Zoom for working remotely, etc. For food deliveries and grocery deliveries, are they still operating as per normal, or do you find you know very long wait times for them? Yeah, so I usually use a platform. Call Hema, and those of you familiar with、uh, China tech, you know that it's a platform by Alibaba. Now, because of the amount of demand for grocery delivery, you actually have to schedule an appointment ahead of time. And most of the time, if you check, you know, in the afternoon, in the evening, the scheduling for the next day is already booked out. 
right? So you have to be really early, like before 12 and booking for the next day. And most of these food delivery, grocery delivery apps have initiated this whole scheduling thing in order to cope with the demand. Well, it sounds like it's being handled better than here in Singapore because we use grocery deliveries here in Singapore as well. And ever since the sign was changed to orange in terms of the urgency of the situation, the delivery scheduling has been more than a week. You can order today and it's only going to be delivered in a week's time. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that, that is crazy. <laughs> yeah. And all toilet papers are sold out. <laughs> <laughs> that still gets me. I, I don't understand. But I hope it gets restocked soon. Neither do I. Do you want to talk about the story of the misinformation and all that? So there also has been a lot of misinformation, right? Not only on Western social media, but also on Chinese social media. And so WeChat actually came out with a fact-checking platform where they debunk all these rumors around the coronavirus. And I think that was a very good move. And I wish, you know, Twitter did the same thing because I definitely see a lot of fake news and just you know, sensationalist reporting going around on Twitter as well. So that is part one of our program on the coronavirus outbreak. And do stay tuned for part two, where we are going to examine the impact of the outbreak on businesses across Asia. So for more episodes of Analyze Asia, find us on all podcast platforms, including iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Himalaya. And also tweet to us at Analyze Asia, so that's Analyze with an S, if you have any feedback or what you would like to hear on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in and see you next time.